right, we are. All right, is anyone else lamenting the Nashville SC loss last night? No, does anyone even know that that happened? Okay, great. Glad we're a big sports church. That is awesome. Uh, but uh, never mind. Let's move along to the main topic, uh, which is elders and deacons. This morning, actually, I have a football illustration in the sermon. I'm already prepared for people to be like, who is Nick Saban? So um, we are, uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting morning. Let's pray together, and then I'll explain kind of uh, what we're going to do together in the time we have this morning. God, we're thankful to be together. We're thankful for uh, grace that meets us in our sin, but we're thankful for grace that compels us not to sin. And Lord, we're thankful for the offices that you have established in the New Testament church, the roles of elders and deacon. We pray that you'd give us wisdom uh, as we seek to understand these things and just review what, the, what these roles are, uh, why they're there, qualifications for them um, as we approach uh, reconfirmation uh, next Sunday. Be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So what I had originally planned to do, and I had, I had it all written out, was to uh, teach, to finish up Perseverance of the Saints and, and start definite atonement, limited, so-called limited atonement, neither of which are good names for it. Particular redemption is much better. We'll talk about why. But the long and short of it is we're not going to do that because Ben Scott, as he generally does, had a very good idea very wise idea that in light of the Reconfirmation Sunday that's coming about to do a, a very brief high-level overview of elders and deacons. What are they? What role do they serve? What are their qualifications? Okay, now we're actually not talking about in this particular Sunday school, I don't know why that's up like that, how to identify them because we're not identifying new elders or deacons. We are simply reconfirming them, but nevertheless, um, it certainly stands to reason that knowing their roles and the qualifications would be relevant in that process. And so that's what we're going to do together this morning. Um, and th this is admittedly going to be quick. It is admittedly going to be quick. I'm going to move quickly because I've got to do the role of elder, the qualifications of elder, the role of deacon, the qualifications for deacon in 45 minutes. Okay, so just listen quickly. Okay, so first I want to talk about the role of elders. The role of elders, and just for the sake of time, I'm actually going to read all of these. Um, uh, and so, but you can certainly turn uh, turn to these texts with me. Uh, the first is going to be in Acts chapter 20, and in Acts chapter 20, you'll recall uh, that Paul says goodbye to the Ephesian elders in the second half of the chapter. Um, he says he's never going to see them again, and so there is tears. It's a it's an emotional moment for Paul. But in his parting words, he does say something about elders, which and I don't have time to argue for this now. Uh, we understand uh, the Bible to use the the office of overseer, elder, and pastor, which is that, the noun form of that's only used once anywhere in the Bible. Uh, but overseer and elder to refer to the same office, okay, and that pastor or shepherd, which is what it means, refers to the same thing. And so in Acts chapter 20, he says, in verse 26, he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you, that is to say you, especially in the context of the elders there at Ephesus, and by extension the church, the whole counsel of God. Now listen to what he says to the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves your own life, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you 
overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. Pay careful attention to yourselves. He charges them to be people who pay careful attention to themselves and pay careful attention to all of the flock. And there's that shepherding language, but you're going to see the overseer word to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit, this is something that the Holy Spirit does in God's economy of salvation and in the church. The Holy Spirit has made you, not the popular, there, there is whatever kind of system any church has for installing elders, there is nevertheless a Holy Spiritness to it, the sovereignty of God in it, has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care, to care for the church of God. Elders are those who are supposed to care for God's church, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, Paul's getting these elders ready for what's going to happen. What does he say is going to happen? After my departure, I know that fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So he tells the elders, after I head out, there's going to be wolves who come in. That's one of the reasons you need to be paying very close attention if you're going to care for the flock, people who are teaching false doctrine and are doing immoral things. And so he says, therefore, because of these wolves that will come in, be alert, be mindful, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So in elders, we see what Paul is, is, is exhorting the elders here in, in Ephesus to pay careful attention to their lives, pay careful attention to the flock of God. The Holy Spirit has made them overseers to care for them, knowing that wolves are going to come in and try to lead people astray. All right, and so that's the first, that's the first text that I want to look at in terms of what the role of an elder or an overseer is. The next one is in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you want to turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you. All right, what is he going to exhort the elders? As a fellow elder... And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. That's how he kind of platforms himself, himself excuse me, uh, to deliver this word. As a fellow elder, as a fellow witness to the sufferings of Christ, as a partaker in the glory, he says, shepherd, a verb, pastor, okay? Pastor the flock of God, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, and the idea is these under-shepherds are supposed to uh, in some way reflect the chief shepherd, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So just a couple of things out of 1 Peter 5. The first is they are to, again, shepherd as a verb, the flock. It doesn't just say teach. It doesn't just say preach. Don't just, you know, have a pulpit ministry, right? To shepherd people. 
shepherd people. And a lot of young people, by the way, going to young men going to seminary really get this wrong. They want to be a, they want to go to a church where they have the preaching pastor. You know, and then you have your discipleship pastor and you have your this pastor. And then by the way, I'm not knocking that necessarily, but what they're saying is, I want to read theology and be a preacher. Well, hold on, wait, do you want to be a shepherd though? Uh, that's messy. Like you gotta like get in people's lives and their sin, and it's you have to have awkward conversations and you get hurt. Sometimes you accidentally hurt other people. Whew. It's easy just to stand up here and preach. No one can respond, you know, unless they're out of turn, right? That's not it. Elders are to shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And you can, and the ex, exercising oversight has a degree of administrative authority, but it also carries this idea of like, okay, like I'm looking and seeing how everybody's doing. Right? Oh, who I noticed, I try, I noticed that person wasn't here. Hey, I noticed this might have been out of place. Hey, I noticed this person might need some encouragement. They're exercising oversight. They have the authority to do that. We'll look at that in 1 Timothy 3. But it says, not under compulsion, but willingly. This means an elder shouldn't be there just to, oh man, I can't do anything. No, I don't have any marketable job skills. And this, I've been a pastor, you know, I've been an elder or pastor for so long. I just need to keep doing this to, to bring home the bacon. No, that's not it. Well, no, I just, my dad and my parents said I should go into ministry. I don't want to shame them. They're third generation of pastors, so I'm going to be an elder. You know, I just need to be a, I, I, I don't want to be a failure. The, the idea that an elder should, should be someone should be someone who wants to shepherd the flock of God and has a desire to carry this weight. And it is weight. It's not an easy task, certainly, but an elder shouldn't do it under compulsion. As uh, he should do it willingly, as God should have you, not for shameful gain. And here we have the financial piece. But it all it, we have the financial piece, but you also have, you could probably say, a uh, a praise of man piece. A praise of man piece. That's a that's a that's one version of shameful gain that isn't necessarily financial. Maybe I'm going to gain because I want to be no, because I want to be seen as solid. Oh, I want to be respected, or or whatever. He says, no, 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 no. You can't become. You can't sign up to be an elder because you want people to to think, you know, a particular think of you in a particular way and sing your praises or that kind of thing. So we're not. They're not supposed to sing the praises of their pastor. People are supposed to be singing the praises of Jesus, right? And so that's the idea here, not for shameful gain, not domineering over those in your charge. You know, we're going to see in 1 Timothy 3 that elders have authority. I already mentioned it. And that means that, that members are to submit to the same Greek word is translated, by the way, obey, which has a harsher connotation in the English language. But nevertheless, the same word, submit, obey. They're elders. And we're going to see that language explicitly in Hebrews 13, obey your leaders. But the idea is there's a way to shepherd that says, listen, this is what you're going to do, and you're going to do it now. And you're going to do it because of good theology. Submit! Something like that. Okay? There's a way to be domineering in leadership. There's a way to be a domineering shepherd of the sheep. And Peter says, that's not what elders are supposed to be doing. If you have an elder who's always pulling the authority card, you know someone is, a really, is doing a really poor job leading people just in general, but particularly as an elder. Not domineering over your charge. How are they supposed to lead? But by being examples to the flock. Again, we're going to see in 1 Timothy 3 that an elder's life should is, it will, has no chance of being perfect, but it should be exemplary. It should. There's nothing particularly amazing about the moral qualifications for an elder. They're the same uh, as the moral qualifications for any Christian. We're going to look at that. There's some, there's some skills element that's different. 
But what's one thing that's extraordinary about the qualifications for elders, the, the virtues, is that they're, unex, they're not extraordinary at all. They're the things required of every Christian. But elders should be particularly good examples of them so they can be examples to the flock. Okay? 1 Peter 5. Very briefly, Hebrews 13, 17. This is the one where I said explicitly it talks about um, authority, but it also talks about um, it also talks about oversight of souls. Just went the wrong way. Whoops. Whoops, what am I doing, Tom? Here we go, sorry. Hebrews 13, as he's closing the letter here, he says this, Obey your leaders. Obey. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. An elder is someone who keeps watch over people's souls. As those who will have to give an account for how they kept watch. Ooh, that's a harrowing verse for anyone aspiring to pastoral ministry. Keep watch over people's souls, elders are told. That's what they're supposed to do as those who will give an account. And your account can't be, well, I didn't want to oversee that person's soul because when you give them feedback, they just get really upset. They say, who do you think you are? Well, I didn't oversee this person's soul because... It's just so hard to have conversations with them. Well, I didn't oversee this person's soul because of this and that. Everyone's gonna, Every elder is going to give an account for how they oversaw souls. And that doesn't mean that they have the same kind of personal relationship with everybody. It doesn't mean that they have the same influence as everybody. That's not what it's saying. But there's going to, be a, 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 they're, they're going to have to give an account for how they oversee souls. And then it says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We had one person years ago um, who said out loud, I specialize in being a thorn in the flesh to the pastors. It's like, uh, it's not clear that that's like a good thing, you know. Um, let them lose the joy. You don't want to be the person where they're like, hey, this person's sending you. Oh, not them. Oh, man. Oh, man. So you don't want to be that person. You want, your, you want your leaders to be able to, to oversee your soul with joy. With joy. And not have to have deep sighs with every conversation, text message, email, whatever the case may be. Finally, very briefly again, 1 Timothy 5.17. Um, we're going to come back to 1 Timothy, of course, in just one moment. But 1 Timothy 5.17 says this. Let the elders who rule well, rule well. Be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in teaching and preaching. Now, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters and some other folks have tried to make a, what I think is, a, and I think most commentators on the pastoral epistles think, is an artificial distinction between there's a, two, two different kinds of elders totally. You have a ruling elder and you have a teaching elder. If you came out of the PCA, ruling elders cannot teach unless they have uh, permission from the uh, 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 the the Presbytery, thank you. Who said that? Who? Amy? Who said that? Who said Presbytery? You did, Josh, my man. See? You know, because he came out of a PCA church. Exactly. Thank you. Um, okay, yes, it's with Presbytery. So the ruling elders can't, okay, one, if you're a teaching elder, you have to have gone to seminary. Okay, so it's very, 
I don't think there's that kind of a wooden distinction. But he specifically says that there, there's going to be, there's not going to be equal division of teaching labor on any elder board, you might say. Okay. Uh, but everyone, I would suggest, in light of the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, is going to be teaching in some capacity, is going to be ruling in some capacity. Um, and so that it stands to reason that, that we should expect elders to be doing both of those things, okay, regardless of how they are compensated in terms of double honor, all right? They are to, those elders we know are going to be ruling and laboring and teaching and preaching. So this pulpit part is a central part of it. It is a critical part of it, but it's not the whole, the whole shebang. Okay. All right. Let's. Um, so, any questions about the role of elders, shepherding souls, teaching the word, overseeing the affairs of the church, exhorting the saints in sound doctrine? Okay, shepherding the flock of God. That's what elders are supposed to be doing. All right. We'll turn over with me to. We're not going to look at uh, Titus one five through nine. This is the list is very very similar to First Timothy three one through seven, but there are two di- there are two different lists. Paul writes occasional letters. There's reasons that they're slightly different. They're mostly the same. There's one particular standout difference that we're not going to talk about today about uh, uh, unbelieving children or uh, untrustworthy children. Shows up in Titus. Well, let's just go through the qualifications for overseers, which again, I suggested to you, is the same thing as an elder. The saying is trustworthy. This is verse 1 of 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, the same word sometimes is translated lust. Someone yearns for this, desires this, not for shameful gain, 1 Peter 5, but desires this particular role, this particular task. Paul says they desire a noble task. Therefore, and then he's going to give the qualifications, an overseer must be above reproach. Above reproach, he he lives in a way that gives no cause to other people to think badly about them. Um, one analogy that I've heard is really good is like you think of a stone wall, a rock climbing wall or something, and it's not as though it's perfectly smooth. The elder doesn't have a per- it's not perfectly smooth, but there's not, there's not enough to get one of these awesome handholds that you can just support your whole body weight. You know, you're having these maybe, oh, I can grab a finger hold here. I, I can see a place where you might be able to kind of get in here. That might be what an elder's life looks like. It's like, it's not perfect, but there's nothing like, whoa. That's out of place, okay? That's the idea of being above reproach. He is to be the husband of one wife. You have a superscript in your uh, text, no doubt, and uh, people have debated what this means. I, I don't, in my, it, it seems very, oh, well, I shouldn't say that. It, I, I think that it is um, almost certain, it is very likely, from my perspective at least, that the husband of one wife and it's literally a one-woman man. That's why there's ambiguities. In the Greek, it's a one-woman man. So people say, well, can a divorced person be an elder? Well, does this mean? I think, I think what it means when the dust settles of the discussion in the exegesis, we're talking about a man who is faithful to his spouse, who is faithful to his spouse and is not engaging uh, um, sexually, romantically uh, with anyone else. He is the husband of one. He's a one-woman kind of man. That is the idea. He's not a philanderer. Uh, he certainly is not a, a polygamist. He's a one-woman man. He is, he is furthermore, he is sober-minded. He's sober-minded. Um, he exercises self-control um, on his, uh, uh, in his appetites and his desires. He's someone who could say, yes, that person has discipline. That person is self-discipline. That person has self-control. 
Um, that person is not just uh, going along with what everyone else says. That person is not impressed. just so impressionable when they get around a certain crowd of people, they're just going to kind of do uh, what everyone else is doing. No, they, are, they have control of their self. They're sober-minded. They make good judgments, okay? They are not a drunkard, verse 3. They're not a drunkard. They're not someone who is abusing alcohol. Uh, they're not someone who is, uh, and, and of course, that, that's why I define sober-minded the way I did, because of course being a drunkard is a way to not be sober-minded, but it's a different way to not be sober-minded, right? It's like literally I'm not sober, I can't stand up, and I, you know, that kind of a thing. Whereas sober-minded in terms of reasoning soundly uh, and biblically is a little bit different. But it's not a drunkard, it's not someone who is abusing alcohol, and I think you could probably say by extension other mind-altering drugs, right? That's, a, that's a, a good and plausible inference, I would say. It's not right there, but she says, well, my pastor is always getting baked. You know, you know, he's not doing alcohol. He's like, well, okay, you can't have a pastor is always, you know, hotboxing the car. All right. Um, not quarrelsome. Uh, he's not violent, but gentle. Okay? He is not someone who is, uh, he's, all, he's not someone who is always looking for a fight. Okay? He's not someone who um, is always looking for the next argument to get into right? He's not someone who gets some kind of existential momentum because there's another thing to push back against. And I have to say, you see, I see a lot of this. I see a lot of this in the culture. People just looking for the next thing to kind of be the hero to stand against. And it's just like they're just looking for another thing to, to quarrel about with somebody and to, uh, you know, not violent, but gentle. You know, someone who, look, elder who says, you know, my favorite picture of Jesus in the Bible is where he's turning over tables in the temple. Because that is what faithfulness looks like. So come to church on time, you know? Like, that's not going to be it, okay? Uh, you want, uh, that would be deeply problematic, and that wouldn't, re- uh, that wouldn't represent a shepherd who's overseeing the flock uh, with gentleness, okay? He must not be a lover of money. We heard this in 1 Peter 5, not for shameful gain. You can't be pastoring because you get money. And, and it's, it, it is never lost on me that my income is based off uh, tithe money which causes me to be very, very careful about how I redeem my time. And I want to try to be very judicious about it because um, I understand that that's how I, I am provided for. But you, but as, as a Jeremy Meeks, who some of you know, said, the, the pastorate can be a great place to hide laziness. The pastorate can be a great place to hide laziness and get a check. And I've seen it before. Um, not with anyone that, that any of you would know, but I've, I've watched it in front of my face before. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And so the idea here, especially in the first century, was a household was not just nuclear family. You know, mommy, daddy, Jesse, and Joe. You know, that's not it. It was the extended family. It included, you know, grandparents. It included servants. Um, they could include other things, perhaps. And um, someone who managed the household is someone who has the ability, who has a little bit of administrative ability to have to keep things running, and particularly to keep children in submission. Now, that doesn't mean that you can change your child's heart, that you can kind of regenerate them, but that you want you understand how to interact with children, and you un- and, and your children are, are not perfect kids. Uh, and, and certainly, when at least when they're younger, they're not even believers, but they know how to be respectful. They know how to uh, to say. Uh, uh, they know how to obey mom and dad. And the idea is this. If a man, if you look into a man's household and it's a disaster, and I don't mean it's a disaster because 
you know, disaster struck or it's a disaster because uh, of certain circumstances that they inherited or it's a disaster because of these things. If you look at the, the ideas, it's supposed to be a reflection of the way a man leads. Okay, there are always going to be exceptions. Like you could be leading really well and for a variety of extenuating circumstances, things are just really, really broken in your home. I understand that. But the idea is when someone looks into the home of, a, of an elder and they see how that person manages and is uh, leading in their home, they say, oh, that kind of person could be over the household of God. Okay, Because of how I see they rule and manage their house, I could see them serving in this kind of role in the household of God, the church. Okay, they um, he must not be a recent. Oh wait, you know what? Did I skip over? I skipped over. Uh... Overseer, no. Oh yeah, the end of verse two. So sorry, I was like, what did I just do? The one that everyone was probably the the able to teach. The able to. It's at the end of verse two, and I skipped over it. I apologize. An elder must be able to teach. Now, it does not say able to preach. Two different words, okay? Caruso, the proclamation, someone who's the upfront guy, okay? But can someone, can someone teach in a small group? Could they take someone aside and teach them the Bible? Can they correct, lead teach people in sound doctrine and refuse those who, uh, refute those who oppose it? That's what's required. And to put it like to, to sink down to admittedly very popular level language, an elder doesn't need to be a dazzling preacher, but they do need to be able to kind of flex on people who are teaching false doctrine, and they need to be able to instruct in the in the gospel and in the Bible. They have to have the ability. They have to have the ability to teach. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. I had a uh, buddy in seminary. I say he was a buddy. He's really more of an acquaintance. Uh, who's now Catholic, uh, but but anyways, he he was asking for a special exception to become an elder at his church as a 22 year old, and all the elders there, you know, were in their 40s and this and that, and uh, I don't know exactly. I, I want to assume the best about why he was uh, doing that, but it sure seemed from what I could discern, interacting with him, that uh, because he was a very smart. Guy, he was very, he was certainly very, uh, very intelligent. Ended up getting a doctorate in philosophy, uh, but it seemed like he really, really wanted this position. Really wanted this position because, uh, and he was, and um, because of what, you, because of what that kind of status would get you. Then that's that piece of shameful game. The idea is you can't be a recent convert and be put into a role like this. Okay, and it doesn't say. Notice it doesn't say you can't be a recent convert. Uh, because then you might not meet the rest of the qualifications. That would have made sense to say too, right? Someone who just became a Christian isn't a, you know, isn't going to be these things or something like that. That's not what it says, though. The reason here given is because they could be puffed up with pride. Here they are, a recent convert. Whoo, they just went to again. Let's put it real can't like crudely, but they just went from like the not even in the line to the front of the line or something like that. That 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 can have an intoxicating effect on people. Okay. That can be a huge sense of, oh my goodness, this person, a recent convert, doesn't know how to deal with having a position of authority or, or a platform. They could get puffed up, fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, finally, verse 7, he must be well thought of by outsiders so they may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So certainly, if you combine, be thought of, so being thought of well by outsiders, by the way, 
means that this person meets the common standards of, of just general decency. Okay, if they if you were to ask their employer, hey, is this a good person? You know, uh, you know, worldview disagreements aside, do they just in a civic manner act and behave well? The answer is yes. Okay, this is an elder is not someone who you would be embarrassed to show up to your work and have lunch with you. Okay, where it's like, oh my goodness, that person because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, so ends First Timothy's. Uh, qualifications for elders and overseers. Before we look at deacons, any any questions or even comments? Maybe something that I missed. I understand it was a cursory overview. Uh, anything to say in particular about any questions or any comments about the the role of elder uh, or the qualifications for the role. Jared, my good man. It's good to see you, bud. Um, okay, well, let's turn. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, good question. So, good, good question. A fine question that would take a little bit longer to give a comprehensive answer to, but I think the answer is clearly no. The expectation, the general expectation is that will be the case. Uh, but no, nowhere is it uh, listed as a requirement that someone must. And in fact, examples in the New Testament suggest um, that, that that it would be odd. It would be odd for Paul to not be qualified to be an elder, a lot of people would think. You know, as someone who wasn't married. Now, Peter was married. Um, we, learned, we, we do know that from the Gospels. Uh, but I don't think, I think the, uh, there are some things that are assumed in, this, in these lists uh, if someone is married, they're to be a one, they're to be a, a someone who's a one woman man. If someone has children, they're to 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 to, uh, to be in submission, and they're to manage their home well. There, with the with the operating principle being, if you look into that elder's life, there's going to be some kind of microcosm of them managing well that would presumably, hopefully, translate well to managing the household of God. Um, not saying um, so. It, 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 I think it assumes those things. I don't have time to make that. I don't have time to make that point uh, strong, uh, any more strongly than just kind of asserting it right now. I'm not really arguing for it. I'm just kind of claim, making a claim. Uh, but no, that a, that a sing, I think a, a qualified single man uh, could certainly serve as an elder. And a man who was married, for example, but was he he and his wife there was just infertility problems could also serve as an elder, despite not having uh, any children. And maybe they, maybe they adopted, maybe they didn't. But let's say in this case, they just have no children at all. I think that that man certainly could be uh, qualified to be an elder. But if he has children, that's the idea. It's the kids of God. Look in, I see children. How is this being managed? So you would have to, I will say, we're not talking about identification, but with a single, especially with a single man, um, how you would evaluate their competency to manage the household of God would be different. It would be, it is much more, in one sense, straightforward, at least at a conceptual level, to see how a married person with children kind of oversees the affairs of his home. And again, in the first century, you've got a business going on. It's, 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 it's a lot of pieces going on, more than just the nuclear family. Um, and, and in the first century, you have to, I mean, in, in the vast majority of cases, like a man being single, Especially a Jewish man being, I mean, this is it, 
not really it's a thing but it's like a thing that was desperate you know was was avoided right it was avoided because then you couldn't your line would end and so there, there's some assumptions baked in here that in the first century first century man is going to be who's qualified to be an elder is going to be married okay but even jesus says he celebrates eunuchs for the kingdom so so uh, that's a kind of a, a long a longer answer uh, that's not really an answer it's just me saying what I, uh, my view there without a lot of defense that such a person could serve as an elder. Is that fair enough? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, no, I, I did not. I, I, I begged that question there with the husband of one wife. I think the, so no, I don't think that the office of elder is open to, uh, elder overseer is open to women. I think that actually though, and I think some people um, would be would be nervous with me saying this. I think that's too bad for them though, is that the actual, the the I think the more decisive uh, demonstration that a woman should not be an elder is actually not in First Timothy three; it's in First Timothy two. Okay, um, where women are told to um, not teach or have a th- exercise authority over a man. Well, that is literally what an elder is is to do. Because yeah, you could make the case right here. It's like, uh, and I don't think the case is as strong, but you could kind of see how someone could say, well, yeah, it says they're the husband of one wife if they're a man. You're assuming they're a man. Well, couldn't it be the wife of one husband? Uh, I, I can see how someone could take that line. You're assuming that they have children. You're assuming that they're married. Well, aren't you assuming here? I could understand how that, how someone could go in that direction. That's why I think the strongest case is to be made uh, actually isn't, I, I think you can make it here, as I think the husband of one wife certainly implies it strong, strongly. And I didn't have time to go into one woman man, but the Greek there is a one woman man. Um. But it does start as there, my egalitarian friends will point out, well, if any one, if any one aspires. So I think that First Timothy two and some passages in First Corinthians anchor us more tightly to male exclusive eldership uh, than actually First Timothy chapter three. Does that make sense? Yeah, really good question. Thank you for asking it. Okay, anything else? All right, well, let's move on to deacons here, where I think we're tracking okay. We'll get, well, I guess. As it turns out, <laughs> there's not as much to say about deacons. There really isn't. Okay, so just briefly, let me turn to Acts chapter 6. And the reason I have a question mark there is because it's not really clear. There was one scholar who had a very influential essay on... Um, uh, so he did some very influential work on deacons. And then kind of the Act 6 has kind of been just, I don't know, I'm not saying it's, well, let's just read it here. Let's just read it. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, the Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So this is kind of ethnic discrimination here, racial discrimination, you might even say, right? You had the Jews, no, they weren't getting overlooked, but the Greeks, the Gentiles, mm, whatever, nothing for themselves. So it was like, well, why is there this special treatment here? And after the 12, they, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples, the 12 being the apostles, and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick 
out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and all the rest of them. And they and they set before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them. So a lot of people understand this passage to be kind of like the beginning of deacons. The beginning of deacons. No, or the, at the very least, a, some kind of proto-deacon. These servants who are doing this thing. Again, some of the challenges with just a wooden correlation here is that it doesn't look like we're, we're so early on in things. We're so early on that it's not like here's some local church over here. These are the apostles, not local church elders. This is food distribution uh, uh, there in Jerusalem uh, where Peter's just given this, uh, uh, this sermon, right, at Pentecost. The, the context is a little different. Nowhere does it talk about explicitly, does it talk about deacons, but the argument is that, uh, and nowhere are the apostles right here kind of, comp- the idea is like, okay, the apostles are the elders, and then the, the people, and they say, we're not going to give up teaching and preaching, so these people are going to do that, and these are the servants. Okay, these are the deacons. They happen to be men. Um, and so it's, it's hard to know what exactly to make of that one. I think one of the reasons people want to see a deacon here is because if you don't see it here, you don't have it. You don't have an account of where, where it ends, where it comes from. Okay? You don't really have... Uh, and, and by the way, I would say the same thing. The elders just gets introduced. I believe it's um, Acts 14. Elders is just, is just mentioned. Okay? Uh, the, what, how, how did the role of elder develop in the New Testament church? Well, there's some discussion about that in comparisons to the Jewish synagogue and all the rest of it. But the truth is, the Bible doesn't have some full orb laying out of either role of how it kind of developed. It's just you have the qualifications, you have a lot about the role of elders, but unfortunately, you don't have a ton about the role of deacons, specifically. Okay, you have Phoebe, who's said to be a servant or a deaconess, you know, of course, that's a, one of the disputed passages. Is this an example of a deaconess, uh, who, who, you know, a female deacon? Or is this just a servant, someone who's generally speaking a servant? The, one, one scholar points out that one of the challenges with discussing the role of deacon and the theology of deacons and deaconesses, which, by the way, is not one of those conservative liberal issues, folks. Some of very, very conservative, super conservative churches um, have female deacons. In the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith doesn't rule on the issue. Okay, so some people think, well, female deacons, it's just a close slide to having female elders. Like, no, it's not. It's not even close. It's not even close to having female elders. All right, very, very different. But, but my point is this: there's just not a lot about deacons. There's just not a lot about deacons. In fact, we know more about how we know more about what deacons did from church history, kind of as a matter of fact, than we do from from the Bible. Okay. And that you might seem odd to you, but that's just the way it is. All right. Well, in the last five minutes that we have, I think we're going to land here. Uh, let's look at the qualifications for deacons. The only place that is given is in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well, right after uh, the qualifications for elder.
Paul continues on. Deacons, likewise, which when you see that in the New Testament, oftentimes this is a transition. It doesn't mean exactly the same as what I just said before this. Oftentimes, likewise is, um, yeah, it's just a loose transition you see in the New Testament. Deacons, likewise, we're given qualification is must be dignified. Okay, this term normally refers to something that is honorable. This is someone who's could be respected, who, who could be esteemed. They're a dignified person. They are not double-tongued. They aren't saying one thing to one person and then saying one thing to somebody else. They are not addicted to much wine, similar to the uh, um, elder who is not to be a drunkard. They are not mastered by some kind of sub substance, nor are they greedy for dishonest gain. And there's nothing here that says a financial gain, and, presume, and, there's, and while there is, you know, the, the, the laborer deserves his waivers, wow, the laborer deserves his wages, and you don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain in relationship to elders and people supporting their local ministers, uh, their, their local elders. You don't have the same thing said of deacons, not that there can't be a paid deacon. I've heard of churches who do have staff deacons, uh, but the idea is dishonest gain here uh, presumably refers to gain that you would get from serving in a particular position, a particular office, and loving the uh, position, the, the kind of the uh, clout that comes with that. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They're, they 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 can't hold the faith in a way where they are living in a way that can, their own conscience condemns them, whether in their belief or their action. They have to have a clear conscience as they hold the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. Okay, so there's a belief component there, but there's also a lifestyle component there where their conscience is clear before God as they walk before him in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let them also be tested first. Now, unfortunately, there's, there's, no, there's nothing, we're not told anything about how a deacon is supposed to be tested. Okay, some of you know that I went to, I was a member at David Platt's church, and he was, a, he was influential in sending me to the seminary that I went to. But in Birmingham, and this was now long ago when people read newspapers, but one of the ways that they would test elders and deacons is they would publish in the Birmingham News a quarter page with a person's face, and like where they work and all of it, and say, if you have anything concerning to, about this person, please let us know. I mean, it was like, that's a test right there. It's like, oh man, that one person at Pickley Wiggly really doesn't like me. I hope they don't see this. No, but uh, but let them also be tested. Uh, there's there's no there's no script given for how deacons are supposed to be tested. But you might just think that one way for them to be tested is to be a tested person. That is to say, they've served well. They they've been tested because they've they've been doing some of these diaconal things. Okay. They're not uh, inexperienced with serving, which is the whole reason they would be recognized as a deacon in the first place, okay? So let them be, you could also like let them be tested, like you're going to administer this kind of test. Um, but it may be that kind of in the run of things, that they are people who are tested in the sense that they're just going to demonstrate that they are faithful in this kind of role over time and then put into this office. Let them, if they are, let them be tested first, then let them serve as deacon if they prove themselves blameless. If, and we don't, have a, we don't have a test. We don't have a deacon test like around here, okay? We don't have a written test. We don't have some kind of testing period. We don't send, send anything out online or any of that. The idea is the, art, the testing for deacons here is who are people who are already doing diaconal work and who are serving 
in our church? Who are the leading servants? If elders are the servant leaders, deacons are the leading servants. Something like that. Okay? If elders are the servant leaders, then the deacons are the leading servants. Okay? Um, let deacons be the husband of one wife. You have the same phrase, husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. So you have the same, uh, you have the same principle. You have the same principle. A deacon is not going to be doing oversight of the church, but they're going to be involved with the affairs of the church. And so there is a managerial aspect to it. When you look into a deacon's home, there is not perfection. It's not that they don't have any fights with their uh, their spouse. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that uh, their kids, um, you know, never forget to to say yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, or something ridiculous like that. But there is nevertheless respect. And, there, and it's a kind of respect that reflects this person has the ability to think well and to act well in these kinds of areas in a way that in which they could serve the church well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Very a similar thing is said about elders in First Peter 5, 5. I didn't read that. We just read 1 through, 1 through 4. So there is, but that's not really so much... Um, qualification as it is uh, a promise of blessings for deacons who uh, serve in that particular way. Um, let me just say that unlike, uh, unlike how much time do we have? Oh, we don't. We don't have any time. Sorry. I was going to make a qualification, but that's okay. Any, any, any final questions about the role of deacon? Okay. Well, next week we're having a reconfirmation here in the Sunday school hour. Make sure to be here. An email will come out. If you need to review these qualifications or review this Sunday school for the role and qualifications of both elder and deacon, um, do so. Uh, and then we will come together. We'll have a members-only meeting uh, to vote for reconfirmation. Okay, let's pray. God, again, we are thankful for these roles. We're thankful how you have orchestrated the church. We're thankful for the servants and leaders that you have given the church. Um, we pray that uh, we would not take those things for granted, but neither would we take those things lightly in terms of evaluating um, who serves in these kind of roles. This is serious business, and shepherding the flock of God and serving the flock of God, serious business. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would be honored in how we do things here, even though it's not perfect, that it would be faithful and glorifying to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name.